0: All right, we are back for another episode of the Freewheeling Podcast. And once again, Lauren Rowney, how are you doing? Really good, Abby. Um, happy to be
1: here again. My fortnightly ritual now is the Freewheeling Podcast. I really look forward to it. Um, and it's Flanders week, even though it's October. It kind of feels like it is the spring because I'm in a jumper inside and you know, like it's starting to get cold and there's a bit of rain and the wind's picking up. So um, pretty pumped to chill on the couch and eat some tarts and cheer on the ladies this weekend. Yeah,
0: the weather is like, we always start off this podcast talking about the weather. But... <laughs> because you ask how I am and I'm in Belgium. <laughs> what else do we talk about here? But the weather is like oddly, I mean, not oddly similar to the, how it would be in a normal Flanders time of year, but just it so happens that we are having Flanders the same weather situation as we would maybe have in the spring, which is, you know, keeps the fun alive. <laughs> it does. It's just
1: the only thing that's uh gonna be different this year, of course, is uh there'll be no fans on the course unless you live on the course, which a few lucky farmers do and a few of the towns, um, we won't be seeing it packed. But we've
0: kind of gotten used to that now
1: since the Tour de France is over
0: very true very true so Mm -hmm. before we jump into like a a lengthy preview of Flanders which we will get to later we have a very special guest on the episode today um Gracie Elvin has joined us for the episode Gracie how are you doing hey I'm actually good and I'm in Belgium too so
1: yep very weather focused (laughs) (laughs) You can wait on the weather conversation. <laughs> yep.
2: Now we've been lucky here this week, actually. So I've had some nice rides, and this will be the last little block that I'm ever here for as a cyclist. So I'm really just making the most of it and enjoying it for what it is.
0: Yeah. So you just announced that you were retiring, which is why we kind of wanted to have you on the podcast. I mean, you're a legend in the women's peloton, and taking this huge step into retirement. So. We're going to chat with you about that and Lauren, I'll throw it to you. Yeah, I think it's just perfect timing
1: actually that Flanders has come at the end of the season as weird as it has been because I would like to think, um, and this is my opinion and I'm sure lots of people would agree with me that I I think you're the best, um, definitely Australian female cyclist to have come through, um, in the spring classics, like this is your bread and butter since actually the get-go in 2012 when you first stepped into the road scene, actually. Um, So I'm really excited for you to race this race, and I know you've got one more race potentially afterwards. But, um, yeah, really happy to have you on the show given our history, and um, I really want to give you the opportunity, Gracie, to sort of like take the lead with this one and just – you know, talk about what you want to talk about because you've been in the peloton enough and actually seen quite a bit of change, um, like you mentioned about the, the cycling alliance. Um, earlier, Abby, I think it was already off show. But, um, yeah, welcome, Gracie. And I'm going to just open up the floor to you. Final week of racing. How are you feeling right now?
2: Yeah, it is really weird. It's weird to be in Belgium in October, for starters. Uh, it's been a strange year for everybody Um, everyone's had their own roller coaster and it's been a different different ups and downs and different times of the year for those ups and downs for every person so I think all of us can relate in some ways to how you feel and in other ways everyone's just been on their own little journey so yeah it's interesting to say the least but being here um, right now is pretty cool and yeah obviously retiring is a big decision and it wasn't a decision that I came to quickly or lightly and I had a lot of months to think about it but I'm I feel really lucky and grateful to actually be finishing my career in Belgium where my favorite races are because in any other year you just wouldn't get that I'd have to see out the season and do all the other races that don't suit me as much and I probably don't enjoy as much so yeah it's actually kind of fitting and and really unique way to finish and I'm pretty excited to have Flanders as potentially the last one.
1: Yeah and when we spoke it's a good seven months ago now I had to look back on the calendar I had the opportunity to interview you and Sarah Roy you just returned home to Australia after we'd all learnt about the fact that racing had been cancelled coronavirus Um, You know, became a thing, for lack of a better word. And uh, I was just chatting to you guys about how you felt about being back home in Australia in April, what this meant for your season. It was the year of the Olympics. Um, You represented Australia four years ago. And I know that that was potentially a goal of yours, but you did mention that you weren't sure if you would make the team. And then we got a bit into perspective and how athletes have the right tools to be adaptable and flexible and work through both small and large-scale problems. And we touched on mental health and you sort of hinted a little bit about maybe retiring because of just the uncertainty in the world and the sport, and, you know, if teams fell away. So I, I think this leads quite nicely into um, more recently, you've just come back to Europe to finish off, um, your career essentially. I don't know if you knew of that before you touched down in Europe, but knowing you, you would have thought through this process. But um, I think, yeah, um, for me, it was the Are You OK post that really touched me personally. And I think you too, Abby, um, we had a discussion about it. Um, and I just want to read one little bit of the post, which, yeah, really resonated with me. As a pro athlete and a female, I've always found it hard to show the real version of myself instead of the highly filtered and curated version on social media. Take this as a friendly reminder that we aren't glamorous all the time. Um, I just wanted to to ask you to just talk a little bit about that post and your feelings leading up to that moment and just how your year's been.
2: Yeah, so i I feel like that was a lifetime ago since I did that interview with you and Roy back in in March or April. Um, I feel like I've changed a lot since then, but the world's changed a lot too. And there was some moments I didn't realise that were going to be so hard this year and, and moments that I couldn't have anticipated anyway. Um but yeah, I think for me, I knew that I was going to retire within the next couple of years. I just wasn't quite sure. I was more going on a, a year-to-year feeling now that I'm in the later part of my career because I think if you're enjoying it, there's no reason to stop in the, in a lot of ways. But um, the coronavirus for me took a lot of fun out of it. And um, I actually, uh, as you know, Lauren, I'm a bit of a, an introvert. So I'm actually quite happy in my own company and I have, I'm happy at home and I don't I love my friends and being social, but it's not the only thing that gives me energy. So to be honest, I was actually happy and fine at home, and I almost felt guilty for feeling so good for those couple of months. And then when we got closer to the racing coming back and me having to go back to Europe, it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. And, yeah, a few personal stresses just made me realise that I guess the analogy for it would be my, like, a dam of stress that you hold inside you it was easily spilled over and I didn't realize it was that full until small things that usually wouldn't bug me just really kept tipping it over and I kept overflowing with like being having high anxiety and and I'm not really someone that kind of had those feelings before like I've definitely had my fair share of dark days and, and probably some depression over the years but I've not really experienced that intense stress feeling and that high anxiety feeling as much. So, yeah, I was really uncomfortable this year and um, I don't know. It's a long story and I'm going to try and make it short because otherwise I'll be here all day. But when I wrote that post on Instagram, that was after already a couple of months of, of being in a really dark place and I was just doing my best to keep making good decisions um keep enjoying the day as much as I could enjoying cycling but I was really struggling too and I was I kept trying to reach out to people other cyclists to see if if they were freaking out too and it felt like I was the only one freaking out and it kind of makes you feel a bit crazy I guess and I just wanted people to relate to and my my main purpose for that post was to just let anyone know like I'm sure it was just the minority but even if it was only one or two people who also felt as bad as I did to be just tell them that they're not alone and it's okay. And, yeah, I think I had a few people asking me more about my perspective on that stuff, and I I did want to talk more about it, write an article, or I realised that I couldn't express myself fully because there's a lot more personal stuff going on with me. That gives how I feel a lot more context, and and one of those things was was retirement. I hadn't announced it publicly yet, and and that's definitely something that is tough, and it's emotional, and it's 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 happy and sad. So um, yeah, now that's public, it probably gives a bit of context and weight to how I was already feeling, um, and a lot of people don't know uh, last year. Um, my marriage fell apart so (laughs) that was pretty awful and it's just one of those things that you just don't talk about for for many reasons and for me I was the one that ended it and and that was a process that took a long time and I just felt like the worst person in the world so that really um, took a lot out of me to feel like you've you've done something really awful to someone else so yeah, just getting through that was tough. Um,
1: uh, <laughs> I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> no, that's, that's exactly why we're here. You can get yeah. emotional, Gracie. It it's, it's raw and it's still fresh. And, you know, this comes back to that whole thing where people have a perceived, like we put um, an image out there of ourselves to protect ourselves and we don't want to share everything on social media Um, And that's one of the reasons I've sort of gone off it. But that's why something like this just really – it helped me. I'll I'll let you know that because for the longest time I I had a hard year for different reasons. Um, I think Abby's had a hard year. I think everyone listening to this has had a hard year. But this world that we live in, it's like people are constantly just showing the best versions of themselves and then it's hard to – I don't know, feel these emotions almost, because it's just, even though you know within yourself, no one's perfect and everyone's going through something, it just becomes too much sometimes. And yeah, there's been other things going on with you. And, you know, you're trying to still perform at a very high level. And there is nothing worse than emotional stress, at least in my experience, financial, all of it. It's the emotional stress that builds up and builds up and it doesn't matter what you do unless you deal with it physically you just can't do anything and that might be for some people they can't get out of bed but when you rely on your body to do your job and that's how you valued almost in the public eye it, it's a hard thing to do so yeah totally and I think I you yeah, I've always been a really big um
2: advocate for um mel- mental wellness and um being open about your feelings and, and that. But I think when it, when it comes to you, it's so much more personal and it's hard to share, especially when it's it's more about circumstances than than just um, having mental ill health just randomly. I think everyone has different reasons and every reason is valid that sometimes you just don't want to talk about it if it's to do with somebody else or to do with a certain situation that you feel like you're failing. So...
1: Yeah, it's tough. (laughs) And, I mean, like you said, you're a very private person and uh, we've come up through the ranks together and I was, you know, I put out my mental health problems there years ago and, I mean, you know, there's consequences to doing that as an athlete. Um, There's always the risk that you're not going to get hired by certain teams because they'll think, for lack of a better word, you're a head case. But you are a very private person and you have your village Um, a very strong community around you that you share things with but you're not going to put these things out there so you know it's difficult particularly if your teammates and the people running the team perceive you as just this very strong will determined woman who is just always on point no matter what and then in 2019 you had a rough time and then it's the question well is she done then and it's got absolutely nothing to do with your performance
2: yeah exactly and it's I think it's just a good good to keep reminding athletes especially female athletes because like I don't want to make this sound like we're a stereotype but women just are more emotional and we care more and we probably have that higher empathy so even if something is not going on with you personally you know like world problems can really get you down we've seen People talking about how climate change affects them and how um racism affects them and and this pandemic's the same like it's it's affecting all of us and even if it's not affecting you directly it doesn't mean that you don't feel it and at the end of the day sport is such a fantastic part of our lives and it has a lot of value in our society but it's also not the most important thing and i think a lot of uh, I hate to say this, but I think some men don't understand why we can't just perform all the time. <laughs> so
0: but insane that we're I not think... robots. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, like part of the reason why women have we we why we can't be so singularly focused has a lot to do with the sport, um, the sport's lack of kind of backing of women and the lack of, Mm -hmm. the lack of money, the fact that there's no salary, um, that we kind of always have our foot out the door anyway, especially, you know, people who were in your guys and, and my generation of racing where now the salaries are getting bigger. But back then when, you know, when I was racing, I know that I didn't get paid enough to buy myself groceries. So I couldn't be completely focused because I had to have a foot out the door. And that kind of also plays a lot into, you know, the the mental health side that we're talking about because it's so, so, so hard to be so dedicated to something and feel so underappreciated. I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to like derail what you guys are talking about because this is just so important. But, but I think, yeah, like those two things definitely tie together no you're
2: 100 percent on point yeah I think there's just a lot of obstacles still for women and yeah having to do other things outside of cycling it's it really takes it out of you and it doesn't mean that you don't care as much as about cycling it's just that you have to care about yourself and the rest of your life too and yeah like jobs and relationships come into that and you can't track that with your garment <laughs> you can't like, yeah, it just, it's just
1: part of it all. And I think as well, like um, going back to being a woman, um, Gracie, For well, for people who don't know Gracie's full history, she's been travelling overseas, I think, did you say, for the past 15 years? Yeah, more or less. More or less. Yeah. And now you're approaching 32. That's a long chunk of time going back and forwards from, you know, Australia really is your home. And trying to have a long-distance uh, relationship, Abby, you can totally weigh in, in here, is difficult and it's tiring. And, you know, I'm, yeah, going back to the disparity between men and women, you're not going to find many guys that are going to drop their, their good job in Australia or America, for example, and move overseas to support their wife full-time. It's just not possible on the salary of most female pro cyclists, so that's really testing. Whereas a lot of the women um, that I've met who are married to pros or dating, they they've been able to uplift their lives and move across the world. Um, where we have different challenges. Yeah, that just adds further to the stress. And I always always respected you for that because you know you'd been with your partner since you were 19 years old. Um, you got married, you, you know, Stu supported you through everything. But again, you spent most of your time apart. Um, He wasn't in a position where he could just move to Europe and you did the best you could. But that amount of emotional stress is something I could never understand because I was single my whole career. Yeah, it was
2: definitely a a tough thing. And I have a lot to be thankful for for him he he did support me so much and that was something that was so hard to step away from um but yeah it's I think you just like yeah I just as you grow older you really learn how to follow your gut and your heart and sometimes you have to just make really really horrible hard decisions but yeah you have to figure out what's right for you at the end of the day and I think I've probably got more big decisions coming in my life, and yeah, I think I'm slowly getting better at making those big decisions, but I don't think it's ever easy. Well,
0: there's so many cyclists that that are in these relationships that they've been in for so long, and then as they kind of get older or as they spend more time together, they they realize that they're not right for each other, which is always really interesting. I mean, you see so many men retire and then they're home all of a sudden all the time versus when they were racing and they were traveling all the time and they were only home for like tiny chunks of the year. And they there's so many men that get divorced after they've retired. And... And on the women's side, I think it's a little bit different because of what, what Lauren was saying, like it's impossible for, for women to have their partners follow them to Europe if they're coming from um, America or Australia or Canada, because the, the finances just aren't there. Like it's financially not possible, but it's this really interesting thing. And I think it's not just in cycling, like it's in a lot of sports where when, when someone, retires or when someone is kind of reaching like a pivotal point in life, it's you you realize that maybe this thing that you've been trying to make work for so long, like I totally totally understand like that whole side of it.
2: Yeah. And like I I don't wanna to talk too much about him because it's not fair, but talking from my perspective, like you have raised points there that I agree with. Um and I think female cyclists a lot of the ones that I've met over the years are quite mature people and quite intelligent people and i I definitely thought that I was quite mature when I was like 19 20 early 20s I didn't realize how much growing up I still needed to do and and as much as I'm grateful to have been in elite sport for my whole adult life it probably has stunted me in some ways in growing up and and emotionally developing because I've just been in this little bubble for so long and I've had to really grow up in, in some ways and learn to be brave and toughen up and have experiences that most people don't get. But in other ways I probably have really um, hindered myself um, and it takes, it takes you a long time to figure that out, which is, yeah, it's a bit frustrating in hindsight, but I, I wouldn't change how I've done it, but there's certainly moments when you look back and go, oh, oh wow, I, I didn't know a lot. <laughs> And I was just so focused on being a good athlete and making the Olympics and winning races and being perfect that you just – the periphery is just not there. And then finally when you kind of take yourself off that, um, that narrow track when you all you're thinking about is yourself and, like, you get to a certain point in, in your career when you are more comfortable, you've done the circuit lots of times, you can – um your focus isn't so narrow anymore because you almost go on autopilot in some ways because you you are really good at what you do now and and your brain kind of starts opening up and you start seeing that periphery and you start going oh shit I
1: missed that (laughs) (laughs) there's other things in life than bike racing
2: yeah so yeah I guess that was probably
1: what helped me
2: make that retirement decision because of having so much time to reflect not just because of the corona situation but over the last couple of years of going through some really hard personal stuff. Um, But, yeah, like the the coronavirus lockdown period was just that extra bit that I needed to really step away from this bubble. And um, even last year I was thinking at the end of the season when I was thinking about my future plans, um, should I – sign on again or should, should I have a year off do I need a break from this do I need to fix myself do I need to stay in bed for a few months I was just broken and like yeah I, I decided to keep riding and I think that was a good decision because I think having your marriage end and finish cycling at the same time would have been too much but i um, coming home in March and having a few months of no racing was had its own challenges for sure but I realized that was the kind of opportunity that I wanted last year and I wasn't going to lose a contract over it (laughs) so I really tried to make the most of that time at home and have a good think about what how I was feeling and I realized yeah like I think my priorities have changed.
0: I'm curious about how it was for you Gracie after everything you went through last year and then and then this year and kind of starting out the year like okay like fresh slate like keep racing i have this thing that i can still focus on and then having all of a sudden everything gets shut down and having to go home and then having to continue training while having no idea what was going to happen with the season and how how that was for you
2: yeah um well at the end of that. Last year was really just hard. I ended up getting sick three times in the second half of the season and that doesn't usually happen to me. So it was pretty clear that my body was just shutting down from having so much emotional stress. So it was nice to just have a break finally at the end of the year and um, I, uh, she was actually coaching me so I had to find a new coach. (laughs) And after a couple of months of thinking and looking I realised that I just – didn't have the capacity for a new relationship in my life because um, a coach-athlete relationship is still actually quite a big one as well and I just didn't feel like I could uh, have – I didn't want to spend that energy of trying to explain myself to someone, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm old enough now and I'm experienced enough and I've written enough programs for myself on and off over the years that I, would, I realized that actually I'd like to coach myself. So I coached myself through the off season and I got a really awesome strength and conditioning coach who I've known for a long time, Scott Smith um, at Myogen in Canberra. And he put me through my paces in the gym, which is awesome. That was something I didn't have to think about. And I just focus on the bike stuff, and I just made it fun, and I knew more or less what gets me going, so I I did the hard work and mixed in lots of fun with that too, and I got myself into really good shape, and I ended up getting a medal at the Crit Nationals, which was really great, and um, and then I came to Europe, and uh, we did the opening weekend, so I was really grateful for that as well, that we had that one weekend of racing before everything went into lockdown, because. I raced really well and it was just a nice kind of vindication or relief or something that I could do it. I could coach, coach myself and I could get myself back into shape and it was just the perfect thing to focus on after going through something hard the year before. So I was really glad that I had that process to keep me distracted and happy and I still love cycling so it wasn't like I was tricking myself into it or anything. I really enjoyed it and they enjoyed all those races. And, and then, yeah, coronavirus happened and it was pretty disappointing to lose the classics um, straight up, but we just had to accept it. Every, everyone was going through it together. It wasn't like getting an injury and you're missing out and no one else is. So I think it was a lot easier to accept because it was about everyone. Um, and then time at home was really good for me, actually. I just rode my mountain bike heaps and did a lot of volume and k's because I didn't really know what we were training for yet and when we got that uh, UCI calendar that gave us a bit more structure and I started getting back into intervals and I was like I think I'm going to be stronger than ever (laughs) I'm going to come into the the season so fresh and so strong and I'm not going to be like wiped out like I usually am because I race too much I was actually really excited and I I was really interested to see how I was going to go after a different approach. And then, yeah, I just just hit the wall a couple of weeks before I ended up coming to Europe. I just started really stressing out and a lot of Aussies were in the media about not being able to come home again and I just started freaking out about that and I just didn't think that the races should go ahead at all and I think just my moral compass was just going off (laughs) and then... A few people in my in my life were just thinking or telling me, like, why would you leave Australia? Why would you go back there? And I don't know. It just all gets to you. But I think in my gut I knew I just needed to come back here and get a bit of closure. I think by that point I knew that I was going to retire. I hadn't told many people yet, but I just wanted to come back here and do my best. And I knew if I stayed in Australia and watched other people race, I think it would have been worse for me mentally. So, I think it was just that way up of, <laughs> do I travel to Europe where the coronavirus is thriving? Do I put myself in <laughs> danger there? What if I can't come home? Versus like, how depressed will I be? How how worse off will I be if I stay here and, and regret this decision? And yeah, it, it, that was really hard to make. That took me quite a few weeks to kind of work through, but I decided to come back and yeah, I just knew that I needed to pack all my stuff up here, 10 years' worth of stuff here and, yeah, just, I don't know, just enjoy it, try and try and just control the controllables, as they say, and focus on myself, try not to worry about the protocol stuff, which was quite hard to not worry about. But, yeah, just try and do the right thing. I promised my mum I would do the right thing. <laughs> no,
1: But I have to ask, Gracie, when you got on that plane to Europe, was it done and dusted in your head, or did you at least allow yourself? I mean, you would know what your form is like, and from what you're saying, you got some good training and you were feeling really good. Had things gone differently, and you'd shown up to Europe and had some brilliant races and gotten some results, would that have changed your mind at all, or would you have just seen that as like a cherry on top to ending your career?
2: Um, In the early part of of beginning to make the decision about retiring when I was still at home, probably in
1: June, I guess,
2: of that, I'm pretty sure I'm going to retire, but I'd like to see how I go once I get there, see if I still love it because actually I didn't miss it that much, to be honest, being back in Australia, which was a bit of a telling sign. But I think because of the whole situation of this year, I think, everyone's mental focus just shifted so I think a lot of people were surprised by how they felt I I don't know a better way to explain it than that but I just thought I I can't trust how I feel right now because of what we've all just been through and what we're going through um when you're in the safety of your own little bubble especially in Canberra which is even (laughs) more of a bubble I thought, oh, maybe my brain's just tricking me. Maybe I'm just comfortable here and that's why I feel like I'm not missing anything. I need to go back to Europe and see if I, I, I missed it or not and and get that different environment and different feeling back. But the closer I got to getting on the plane, the more I realised I think this is it. I think I'm going back to say goodbye. And yeah, so I once I once I was flying over and once I got to Europe I knew that I was there for the last time and I needed to start telling people close to me, like my team, and and start packing up my apartment and try and figure out all the admin around that stuff but also just um, emotionally starting to process it too.
1: And, I mean, getting on the plane as well would have been quite difficult because you're still figuring out some new things in your life um, that, you know, some self-discovery you mentioned in the past couple of years I don't know if you want to talk about it. Um, Relationship-wise, um, is, is a whole other sort of part to to maybe the decision and just figuring out that you're not just Gracie the bike racer, which I think you've had a pretty good idea of. Whereas I think some of us just identify ourselves as athletes, but you're just you're Gracie Elvin.
2: Yeah. I've had a lot of good people in my life always trying to help me remember that and, and Stu was one of them, so I'll give him credit for that. Um, yeah, like I really have tried hard over my whole career to not just define myself as a bike rider but because it's something I've done for my whole adult life, it's almost impossible to separate it too. So as much as uh, intellectually I can say it, I think emotionally it's going to be hard once I, I am officially out to not to – not, want to call myself an athlete but I think I'll I'll process that in in my own time but yeah another thing that I guess is uh, quite a big thing and it's quite private but I also want to be public about it and just put it on the table and amongst everything else because it's kind of a big deal is yeah like just finding out new parts of my personal sexuality too and and that's confusing and difficult and makes you feel like you go crazy sometimes um but yeah I've I've been seeing a a woman now for a little while and I've actually started to feel really good about myself and it's like you have this jigsaw puzzle and you get to the near the end of it and you don't realize you're missing a bunch of pieces and then a few months later, you find them tucked behind the back of the couch, and you're like, oh, wow, I didn't realize I was missing those, but now I can finish this goddamn puzzle. And you'll, I don't know, it's just like, I feel different about it all the time. And I think it's something that I'm going to keep having to process. And, and I don't think I can label myself or, or define it, but yeah, like I think it definitely gives me a lot of. Understanding and context about why I probably um, tried too hard to be perfect for so long because I felt like something was missing or that something was wrong with me. So, yeah, that's pretty tough too. (laughs) But, yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy now, and we'll see what, what happens with that stuff. But not many people talk about it. And, like I said before, where I grew up in Canberra is such a great place to live, but it's, it's a big bubble and it's a very white, straight, conservative bubble. So it's not that I ever grew up with any form of homophobia or anything. I've been lucky to have a really supportive, fam- overminded minded family, but when you don't see it, you don't know that you can relate to it. So it's funny when you, you're you close to your 30s or, or you're in your 30s and you finally figure stuff out about yourself that you didn't even know was there and it wasn't because you were pushing it down. It was just that you never really gave yourself a chance to think about it. So everyone mm-hmm. has their own version of their story of, of that stuff too. So, yeah, I think there's been a lot for me to <laughs> process the last few years but, uh, yeah, I, I guess like I said earlier about the, um, the Instagram post I did, it's just I don't want to overshare and there's some things that are personal and private, but in another way, like, I, I do want to be honest and open and, and tell people, like, if, if something's going on with you, you're not alone. It's okay. <laughs> Whether it be marriage or sexuality or sport, mental health, retiring, coronavirus, <laughs> I think everyone uh, needs to have people that understand them. It's And for me, it's like fi- not trying to make people understand. I'm not, I'm not saying these things so people understand me more because I think what I've learned is you need to find people that understand you rather than making people that you already know try and understand you because not everyone will understand. So it's just, yeah, finding
1: that nice community for you to feel comfortable and safe in. And that you don't have to validate yourself. Because yeah. I think, particularly as women, we seem to do that a lot.
2: <laughs> yeah, don't know if I've you definitely feel that done way. that. Oh, yeah. I've uh, searched for a lot of validation in my life. And it's nice to finally realize you don't have to do that all the time. I feel like I'm getting some energy back for myself. And
1: that's a really good feeling. Well, after years of just being quite, well, as a professional athlete, you have to be quite single-minded I think earlier in the conversation you mentioned that we're very good at just focusing on one thing and almost shutting out everything else because it's just easier because you want to put all your energy into this thing that you're trying to be good at and if you allow other things to come in it can quite often derail you and at least speaking from experience that's sort of what happened with me is when I began to allow these emotions to come in I realized that maybe I was better off not being an athlete just because at that point in my life it wasn't good for me and I just wasn't ready to continue. Um, Yeah, and
2: that's okay too. I think I don't know how you felt at the time but I don't know if I think it's easy to feel like you've failed or you feel weaker than everyone else and and that's not true. Sometimes you do need to remove yourself from the environment and that doesn't mean you're not tough. It's it's probably tougher to remove yourself from environments that are not helping you. And for for sport like I think women or anyone really like we we just need to be seen as tough and and you don't want to be seen as weak. You don't want to be seen as not being able to handle the pressure or, or having mental health problems or, I don't know, anything like that. It's, it's not about that, though. It's just about what's what's good for you and and is this environment toxic for you? It's not toxic for everyone, but it's certainly not good for a
1: lot of people. No, no, exactly. And we both know, yeah, a few people who could have probably gone on to be Phenomenal athletes, but for whatever reason, um, whether it be mental health or other reasons, just couldn't quite reach that top and, yeah, had to remove themselves from it. Um, and, you know, at the time when I left the sport, I did regret it because I don't think physically I was done. I was only 28 years old. And if you have a look, if you're willing to continue, you can go until you're 40 if you really want, or even older. But, um, I just couldn't do it anymore so I'm assuming like well assume is a big word but that you just got into the point where you've achieved what you want to achieve and there's probably some races that maybe you would set out to win but at the end of the day even the likes of say Lizzie Dignan is going to retire with not every race that she wanted to win but when she does retire And when you do retire in a few days' time, you can look back and be proud of everything you achieved, even if your career had been one year long.
2: Yeah, totally. And it's something that's really tough, I think, for a lot of us, is that you're only looking forward. You're only looking at what else you can achieve. And I feel like I've definitely got some unfinished business in some ways. But in others, I don't particularly regret a lot of the things that I have done because, I I just made the best decisions at the time with my capabilities and the information I had at the time. In hindsight, I could have done things differently or better for sure. And even right now I could probably improve some things and and continue to be in the top tier of the riders. But I think you just, you need that real intrinsic motivation and that energy and the fire. And if it's not there, then it's just not there and, And I've definitely written down all of the things that I'm proud of that I've done and it's a very long list and I realise that I have a lot to be proud of too and you don't have to be Olympic or world champion to still be proud of yourself.
1: No, and it's not just results-based. You were an incredible teammate. You became an incredible leader. You've done wonderful things within Women's Cycling through the Cycling Alliance And not to mention just the person you are off the bike. So I think you can definitely give yourself a big pat on the back. And um, I'm sure the Peloton's going to miss you. And I feel like over the next couple of years, we're going to be losing some of the really good ones. But, um, yeah, I I think that it'd be fun to have like a bit of a a quick, what do you call it, a fire round, Abby, where you shoot like different questions at Gracie? Yeah, sure. Um, Do you want to start? uh favorite race (laughs) flanders obviously (laughs) uh favorite results i know what it's going to be but for the listeners oh well that's
2: a good one i guess the easy answer is that second place at flanders a few years ago but um yeah i've been lucky to have some pretty awesome results in my career so
1: it's a hard one to choose from actually I have to say, for me, I think a really awesome result was your first national jersey. That's pretty special. Yeah. First year first year as a pro, getting the national jersey, and then the following year, you won it again. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. That's definitely one of my highlights. <laughs> that was incredible. So just putting yeah. that out there. Um, Thanks. Worst thing about being a bike rider? Oh... The blisters long
2: <laughs> <laughs> right right now my hands are shredded still from rubay recon so we did rubay recon the day before it was cancelled and i just have like blisters everywhere and saw saddle area so that's not the fun part of cycling is all of the sore bits that you get <laughs> <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> ladies yeah, like
2: we feel you <laughs>
1: I think being away from your loved ones, though, that's probably the hardest for sure. Weirdest thing that's happening at um, one of the teen campers? Uh, I feel like
2: you've asked me this
1: question on purpose. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, I'm glad that you brought this up, actually, because it's funny. Are you referring <laughs> to the moon landing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, when two people are getting changed And they don't tell the other person and and they're both facing away from each other and they bend down and their butts touch by accident. (laughs) (laughs) That my friends is called a moon landing and it's equal parts, very (laughs) awkward and hilarious depending on how good of friends you are with that person.
0: (laughs) I love that there's a, I didn't know that there was a term for this, but like literally most most anyone who's been on like a a team of any kind <laughs> is gonna relate to
2: that. Yeah, there's certainly <laughs> a lot of weird stuff that goes on in those campers, and and that particular instance was just because our camper was so small. <laughs> so
1: small. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, good
2: morning, Lauren. Yeah, Wonder.
1: Yeah. Oh, good old Wonder. <laughs> um, selection camp I've got here. Oh um, yeah. So that's
2: where you and I met, Lauren, wasn't it?
1: Yep, 2011, (laughs) and this mountain biker called Gracie Alvin showed up and destroyed everyone um, (laughs) and won the crit against the men.
2: Yeah, well, that's that's kind of my, like, unofficial best result ever. I like to joke that winning men's B grade at the Canberra Crits in the middle of selection camp is my career highlight because – you beat all the guys for one, which is quite hard to do. And two, it was the most important time to do it. So if anyone doesn't know about those selection camps, I have a blog archived somewhere. I'm pretty sure a few people did blogs about it, but it was a 10-day camp, a, an SAS, SAS kind of modelled camp where it was just challenge after challenge just really hard and they eliminated people every few days so there was I don't know 15 or so riders at the start and only five of us at the end and so many tough bike challenges and they also did this thing called silent running where um, the coaches don't give you any feedback whatsoever so you don't know if you're doing good or bad and they just want to break you really and I managed to get my first road scholarship through that camp
1: (laughs) and the rest is history yeah, really, but um, no. This in hindsight, the selection camps, particularly that one, because they'd had one, I think, at the start of 2011, and it was a bit of a trial. But the second one was definitely the best, and some really great athletes came out of that camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the the most successful candidate would have to be you. So it's a shame that's actually gone away. Um, yeah, but I. It was to, certainly it,
2: controversial, and it, and it. To be honest, it doesn't suit a lot of people. But for me personally, um, you had to be in the State Institute to be invited to this camp. And I wasn't in the State Institute um, because I was a mountain biker. But luckily, my coach was in the system and I managed to just get an invite. So I wasn't even supposed to be there, but I managed to squeak in and and, um, it just suited who I was. And I, I, like, I really thrived in that environment and that was such a golden ticket for me. But I know it didn't suit a lot of people and um, it certainly wasn't probably the best way to, to get good athletes for Australia out of it. But I think the intention was good.
1: I, I have to say, though, that some of the situations they did put us in, I did come across similar situations in Europe or at least the same emotions I might feel. Yeah. from, like, being exhausted but then having to go on this bus trip um, without, like, having a phone or anything and then just sitting there with your own thoughts thinking about how shit you'd trained that day and whether you were going to get sent home the next day and then trying to pull yourself out of it. And it was, um, yeah, it was interesting. But, I mean, yeah, we that's could, almost ten years ago. We could do a whole yeah, podcast yeah, we on could that. talk. Talk all day about that, Kent. <laughs> <laughs> um, Abby, do you have anything else?
0: Yeah, I have one one final question. That's um, So you were one of the founding members of the Cyclist Alliance, which is the Women's Union. There's another one now, but we don't have to get into that. Um, <laughs> but I'm wondering if after you're done racing, if you're going to continue working with the Cyclist Alliance and, and continue... Working on the betterment of the sport.
2: Yeah, um, thanks for asking. I think I would really love to stay involved. Um, I think it's such a loss to have so many female cyclists just leave the sport completely, and we've seen that so much over the years, especially Aussies. Um, the the Euros probably are a little bit better, but Aussie female cyclists just go totally off the radar, and it's such a loss of experience and leadership there. And Uh, I'd love to get more involved in my local cycling with some of the Aussie girls, so that's definitely a priority of mine, but to stay in touch with the international women's cycling as well, especially through the Cyclist Alliance, is definitely something I want to keep doing and I've had a lot of guilt about not doing enough the last year or two just because I had to put it a bit on the back burner while I deal with myself. But um, Iris and... the the team of people there have done such an awesome job that even though I feel like I haven't given enough from my side of things the last little while, I I have no worries at all that they're doing a great job. So, um, yeah, I just want to thank all of the people involved that we've kind of recruited the last year or so after we, the core of us started it a few years ago. It's amazing to see how far we've come and how many people we've helped and, yeah, I, I don't know what capacity I'll, I'll be able to step into next year, but um, just keep he- helping Iris and the girls as much as I can and maybe go into some of the mentoring stuff. We're going to relaunch our mentoring program, and I'd love to be a part of that. So, yeah, stay tuned on that. <laughs> Sweet.
0: Yeah, it's hard. I mean, Lauren and I both know from experience (laughs) it's really hard to stay in the sport once you've once you've decided to leave it because it's such a all-encompassing thing. Being a professional cyclist, that it's the identity crisis that happens when you leave is. I mean, and and my career was barely half of what yours was, Gracie, and I still had like a, a massive identity crisis for for six months. Um, I think that's why a lot of women leave, but, but for sure, I mean, it's important to have people stick around because we can speak firsthand as to what needs to be changed. And it's harder for people who are in the sport to kind of make, make moves because they're in it. And, and like we've talked about, you know, it's, you, you can get a reputation amongst teams and there's all this, this, these other things that can go on that, people don't want to step out of their comfort zone. Um, but us being not in the sport anymore, like we can say whatever we want (laughs) and you may get some nasty messages on Facebook from grumpy old men, but (laughs) you know, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. I'm
2: actually, yeah, I'm looking forward to being a little bit more honest, I think about certain parts of cycling that you can't really do when you're contracted in a team. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think I just want to, keep advocating for all the women, because even though I'm not going to be in the sport anymore, I still care about it. And I still want everyone to have good opportunities. And there's certain people in the sport that shouldn't be in the sport either. So just to keep encouraging the right people to keep working at it and um, to unify all of those people, writers and staff members and media and fans alike. I think there's so many great people involved as well. And their intentions are good, but they just don't quite know how to mobilise yet. So, um, mm-hmm. but being a, an Aussie has its challenges, you know. Like I'm, I don't really want to just step into a DS role either, because that just means more time in Europe when I have already spent a decade away from Australia. I,
0: mm-hmm. I want to
2: have a bit more of a settled life back in Australia. So, um, I don't know if I'll go into those kind of leadership roles in the future. You never say never, but. I think my role in women's cycling will be a little bit different than that might be for a European rider, but I'd love to see more opportunities come along for leadership roles for directors and team managers and stuff for for women because I think that'd be so great at those jobs and I think we just don't see it yet because they don't think that those opportunities are there. So I think we just need to keep promoting those people to stick around and and show them that those pathways are there. Mm
0: -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. Couldn't have said it better myself. And I think you're going to, you are a fantastic role model and will continue to be. And you're exactly the sort of person that I think young riders coming into the sport, um, the Aussies are going to be lucky, but for any of the international riders listening, um, should really look into your story if they knew into the sport, particularly the young Kiwi ones, and just see how you progress through the sport. You know, you I still distinctly remember you saying the first couple of years were your apprenticeship, and you were just going to learn things, and then gradually, after those first two years, you just started stepping up into more leadership roles, and you showed your worth in the team not only as a rider, but as a person and as, as a leader. And off the bike too, with everything that you're doing with um, the Cycling Alliance. So, thanks, Gracie, for everything you've done in the sport, and um, yeah, good luck with the next chapter. I'm very excited to see where you, what path you you head down.
0: Yeah, thanks so much. I'm excited too. <laughs> should we should we chat a little bit about Flanders before we sign off? We got it's like the penultimate one day race of the women's calendar and looks like it's gonna be a pretty pretty exciting race. Um plus, Gracie, with your insider knowledge of the Peloton, I mean, we only know what we're actually able to watch, which what we're able to watch is three people pretty much winning every race. Um <laughs> between Lizzie, Anamique and and Anna Vandergen. Um but yeah, so the mo- one of the most interesting things from my perspective about the race is that the they're not publishing the course um, for out- outsider people because similar to the Ghent wevelgem course, they don't want people to be on the side. Um, although they have said what climbs are in it, which like that's where you want to stand anyway. So I feel like it just doesn't <laughs> make any sense. <laughs> yeah, they're,
2: they're going um, finding people. So yeah, there'll are. be many people out there.
1: No, I think the Belgians are speaking from, well, I'm pretty much Belgian now, so uh, I can speak level (laughs) 4 Dutch. (laughs) Um, They're they're respecting it. You might see a few people on their bikes who are just doing a tour that day, but um, they've been pretty good so far with the races that have been happening this week. Yeah. Yeah, I I did the recon yesterday and today of the
2: new course, um, and it's actually quite different. Um, in a lot of ways they've done they've used a lot of smaller farm roads in some of the middle parts of the race so i'm actually glad i went and saw it because it's it's significantly different to what it was before um mm. but, but the final is the same so it's going to be the same spectacular blow up on the old want <laughs> and exciting <laughs> racing to the end so I think we're going to see some of those – the same characters at the end because it's still a hard race. It's shortened. It's only 135K, I think, 140K. So it's about 20K less than it would have been earlier in the year, but it's still long enough and hard enough, enough climbs, enough tough cobble sectors that it's still – one of those races that just wears you out and the the bunch can be quite big going into the odd Quermont and then it's tiny coming out of it. It just always blows up there no matter what. So, yeah, I think the level is still really high. People are tired. Um, So I think there could be a few upsets on the weekend, but overall those top girls, they're just
1: flying at the moment. So who knows what's going to happen. I think a few riders have sat out a couple of races now and maybe are trying to freshen up for the weekend. Um, thoughts on how the Trek tri- trio raced ghent Welderham. Obviously, we had Elisa, Lizzie and Ellen in the break again. Um, one would have thought that one of the three would have won, either from a late attack or Lizzie in the sprint, but no one podium from Trek. Uh, what are we thinking for their odds on the weekend? Look, I think they're all in super good shape, obviously,
2: and I can't—I don't think you can just say what happened at Ghent-Wevelgem is any indication of what's going to happen again on the weekend. Like, overall, they race really well as a team. They're usually very cohesive. Um, it only takes one or two mistakes to not get a podium, so I think they still race really well at Ghent. And they show that they communicate well and ride well together. So it's, and plus it's a completely different final for Flanders and it's much more suited to someone like Lizzie and Elisa. Um, Yeah, I think, I think they'll be fine.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And all three of them have won Flanders in the past. So it kind of adds a little bit more to the, the Trek-Segafredo situation is like all three of them have won Flanders and so has Ina so they have yeah. just like a wealth of experience when it comes to Flanders on that team, um, which is, which is interesting. I, I think that from, from my perspective, like as a fan watching the race, I would really like to see Sunweb and Canyon Stram be super aggressive because they're the two teams that are really going to walk away from this season with very little results on the top mm. step. That's um, true. So for those two teams, I mean, I think like, this is who knows if the Madrid challenge will happen now because Madrid is in full lockdown and there's rumors about Depena. Who knows? Like as far as we know, that's still going ahead. Um, but yeah, it's the season is like coming to an end real quickly. And I mean, like Gracie, your team has results. Uh, Grace Brown just won a race and obviously you have on and, and then there's these other teams that are still big teams that are just lacking. And I think for them, they're staring at the end of the season with no wins really.
2: Mm. Yeah, for sure. And I think you've seen Sunweb actually quite strong in the races. They just haven't been able to finish off the job. So yeah, this is definitely their last chance to to make a good show of it, and the girls are strong enough and they're in good form. So I think it's just about ha- having confidence, and that's something that Trek has
1: in spades. <laughs> it's just the confidence, <laughs> and our they're team just, too, really. Yeah, but with Trek, it's just Abby and I've spoken about this previously. It seems like it's just really like they've come together this year really well. I mean, it's only the second year of the team now. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And they just, I don't know, it clicks. And you can see that in the racing. Um, and they have that trust in each other, which is really great. And of course, the caliber of rider um, on the team, riders, is incredible. But then again, so does Bowles Dolman. But they don't seem to be, I don't know, this is from an outside perspective, it's not clicking as well. But you're in the race. Great. What's interesting
0: about, about Trek is their, um, their director situation. So like one of the only teams that's directed by two women who have raced at the highest, highest level. And like you have W and T is, I'm pretty sure Carmen directs for W and T. I should know that, (laughs) (laughs) but you have like, Carmen is also a director, but, but she's on her own. And I think having Ina and, and also Georgia Bronzini direct for Trek is kind of what puts them, above and beyond, in my opinion. I mean, yeah, Gracie, I'm curious what you think because you actually race them. Yeah,
2: well, funny story, I actually did recon yesterday with um, Elisa, Audrey, and Ina. By
0: coincidence, <laughs> I was out
2: on my own little ride and they caught up to me, so I rode with them for like three hours, which is awesome. Made my day so much better because um, they're all good for a chat anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think... I think it's it's pretty uh, multifactorial. I think having Ina and Georgia as leaders gives you confidence, but they also give a lot of trust and confidence to the girls. I think the girls actually have, from what I can tell, quite a lot of autonomy and say in how they want to race and somewhat of an open plan, and they all can win and they all back each other, and I think they actually don't care who wins on the day. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of egos at play, even though that could have been a factor in something probably that was speculated from when Trek began. Mm. And I think that's kind of what I can see has been one of their keys to success is they don't care who wins. They just they just ride all so that's strong and they just throw <laughs> all the chips on the table and they have confidence and they have two women in the car just giving them good advice when they need it.
0: Well, Lauren do you want to make picks is it awkward to make picks with Gracie on the on the call also because Anamika is definitely a pick
1: yeah, even even with the broken wrist on it makes a good pick <laughs> yeah yeah I mean Very she's true. just come off a holiday right so she's gonna be fresh as a daisy yeah and gunning for gold um I'd like Oof. to put
2: my um, two cents on the table. I think Grace Brown and Sarah Roy are in really good shape too. So really
0: I'd love to are. see them
2: have a good day because they've put a lot of work in and, and they've got I, a bit of experience behind them now to, to know how to race these races. So I'm excited for them.
1: I did see a tweet by Amanda Spratt that they'll be right. The team will be riding in support of those two riders. So um, what a great opportunity for them. Considering yeah. that they've been showing, like you said, Gracie, just how good they are, and Roy has um, got a fair amount of experience under her belt, so I would be really happy to see her right up there and having a crack. It just really depends how the race pans out in that final, you know, few sectors, because it's been won so many different ways, right? It's not like a race where you can say, "Oh, it's going to be." a group of five or a group of 10 or it's just been one solo or a two up or yeah so I think um, with
2: um, the classics and especially Flanders it's important to have a plan but you also have to be really able to think on your feet Um, you have to really race on your instinct and things change quickly so you need to not have bad luck you need to not have mechanicals or to be out of position and and being in good shape helps you be in good position. So every sector is important. You can't win on any of the sectors, but you can lose on any of the sectors. And it's just putting all those pieces together and, and having that really good recipe on on the day and and having good legs.
1: Yeah. A little bit of luck too, huh? That goes a long way. Yeah. So, all right, Abby, who's your pick? You go first.
0: Oh, the pressure's on. Um, (laughs) <laughs> my my heart pick is Lada Capecki because she's just been so amazing this year. And to have her finish off with a Flanders win would be pretty cool. But, I mean, my head says Lizzie. She's, yeah, she's so good right now. I think, yeah, Lizzie. Lizzie's my pick. Oh, okay. uh,.
1: God, I don't know. I was going to say a lot of Kapeki if it was a small group. Um, yeah. <laughs> just because of my heart pick as well, and she's Belgian, and yeah. I know that everyone here would be very happy. Um, <laughs> Grace Brown won from a solo. I don't think they're going to let that happen again,
0: but I could Oh. This is such a tough one. This race is so hard to predict, and that's kind of, like, why it's so awesome. Elisa Solo. (laughs) That would also be awesome.
1: Yeah. I mean, she did it. She's done it before, but, yeah, I mean.
0: You know what's really interesting is, like, every single time we've made picks for races this year, I feel like we never pick bulls anymore. That's, Yeah. Developing. And Two years ago, we would have picked bowls for every single race. It's true. It's, oh, yeah. how the tables have turned.
1: Yeah. But it's more open now too. I feel like, yeah, well, even, even back then it was too, but, um, I don't know. Again, it's coming back to that cohesion. And again, I'm not in the racing and we can watch the races and discuss them. But I feel like when you're actually racing, you have a completely different outlook on how and perception.
0: Mm-hmm. It's more
1: accurate too.
0: Yeah,
1: and you know the riders better. Um, you know exactly how they race, so it's it's mm-hmm. easier to say too. So, but Gracie, you're going for someone from your team, obviously. <laughs> oh, do I get a pick as well? Yeah, oh, of yeah. course. Oh, you're queen
2: of Flanders. Come on. Well, obviously me then duh. yes <laughs> I back that <laughs> my heart says me and my head says that's not possible <laughs> <laughs> look I think Lizzie Lizzie's just le- leveled up again like I think this is the best we've ever seen her and we've seen her in a very good shape before so I have a lot of respect for her for having a kid and, and being at this level it must be really difficult and yeah she's just been racing super strong and, and she has the team to back her um obviously I'm gonna be backing my girls and I'm, I'm gonna do everything I can to help them and I think I'm kind of interested to see how Annemiek's gonna go after her Italian break and uh yeah see if she's still got her super strong legs you never can count her out like I said before she's an exciting racer and I think no matter what happens in this race it's going to be pretty a, a good one to watch on TV.
0: Yeah.
2: We will be looking forward to it.
0: <laughs> well, Gracie, so thanks so so much for joining us for this episode. It was it was just amazing to hear your perspective and and thank you so much for being so open about your story and what you've been going through and good luck.
2: <laughs> yeah, thank you. And, and, and like I wanted to say I think Some of the things that I've gone through have been hard, but they're not really hard. Like some people have been through some really hard stuff this year or the last few years, and everyone's version of hard and everyone's experiences have been different. So don't be hard on yourself. You're allowed to be sad and be grateful at the same time. I think this year has taught us that you can feel all the emotions at once, no matter what's going on with you, and, and that's okay. It's not black and white. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm, I'm really grateful for my career and and everything good that's come out of this year as well and and I want to say thanks for
1: helping me share that today thank you for coming on the show Gracie and just thanks for being you really um and I personally would love to hear from you in the future for a future podcast um Abby and I are dying to do a retirement one at some point <laughs>
0: So I think, yeah. think
1: maybe one day you can weigh in quite nicely with that and have a bit of a different perspective to what maybe we've experienced. So good luck and uh, have the best time on Sunday. I wish all the rain and wind upon you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that's so nice of you, Lauren. <laughs> in, normally you would love that. Normally, yeah. <laughs> i just say Not, yes. Thank
2: you. <laughs> but, actually, but, but actually
1: it's meant to be a nice day because in my little cycling group we're even planning to ride and we're a bunch of horses at the moment. So I wish sunshine upon you. <laughs> yeah, thanks. It's going to be nice anyway.
2: Either way, I just try and be as present as I can be and, and savor it
0: and say goodbye. <laughs> I'm sure I'll cry. <laughs> <laughs> And and we'll be back. We'll be back in two weeks for the, I mean, potentially the end of the season episode or the Madrid Challenge preview. We will see.
1: <laughs> Which will take all of 10 minutes. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs>